Welcome to the Let the Stray Show, your one-stop destination for intriguing conversations with extraordinary individuals who are boldly navigating life outside the conventional norms. Our host, Scott Fullerton, is thrilled to embark on this journey of discovery with all of you. The Left a Straight Show, we believe that every person's story is unique, and it's our mission to showcase the diversity of human experiences. We bring you the untold stories of fascinating people who identify as LGBT plus and allies, pushing boundaries, breaking stereotypes, and making a positive impact in our communities. On this show, we bring you a diverse lineup of inspiring guests, from activists to artists, and entrepreneurs to entertainers, and everything in between. We dive deep into their personal journeys, discovering the pivotal moment that has shaped their lives and careers. You can expect thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics, from LGBTQ rights, social justice to arts, culture, mental health, and more. Our guests are change makers who share their insights, challenges, and triumphs, igniting conversation that promotes empathy, understanding, and love. So whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or an ally looking to expand your knowledge and show your support, the Left to Straight show is for you. Together, we can build bridges of understanding and acceptance, celebrating the beauty of what makes us all unique. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for the show. Welcome back, listeners, to another great interview here on the Left of Straight Show. I'm your host, as always, Scott Fullerton. I'm always excited to bring celebrities and personalities from our LGBTQ community and straight allies on the show. Today, I have a treat for all of you today with two interviews in one. Turning from the bustling heart of New York City, we have an extraordinary culinary genius who's been tantalizing taste buds across the Big Apple. Luke Deerdorf is here. And alongside him, an individual who's been paving the way for many in our LGBTQ community with his trailblazing organization, Cleaning Closets. Mr. Jonathan Mayo is here. These two gentlemen aren't just making waves in their respective professions, but they also share a bond that dates back to their college days. Of course, I became familiar with Luke for being on the latest season of Spring Baking Championship on the Food Network. He did a pretty damn good job. We'll talk about that in a bit. He's also been on the show as a bonus segment with another baking championship alumni, Tom Smallwood, where they made some delicious cookies for you loyal listeners in the Left of Straight show. When I reached out to Luke after his run on SBC to set up an interview, he told me about his wonderful friendship with Jonathan and his organization that is really helping in breaking down stigma in our LGBTQ community. I'm excited to talk to them both on what they're up to now, so let's dive into it and unearth a beautiful narrative of friendship, food, and fearless advocacy. Please welcome to the Left of Straight Show for the very first time, Mr. Luke Deerdorf and Jonathan Mayo. Guys, how are we doing today? Hi. <laughs> right? I know, it makes me sound fancy. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. I mean, Luke, we've talked a little bit on social media. I'm a huge foodie fan and watch all the Spring Bacon Championships and saw you go to town this year. So uh, that was kind of fun. And then when you introduced me to Jonathan, uh, you've been doing some amazing work in the past here. You're still kind of involved somewhat. So I thought it'd be great to have you on together. So thanks for recommending it, dude. Great job. Absolutely. Uh, when I did my research into your podcast, I was like, like I was honored to be involved. Like Johnny, like what he's been doing is like 
this oral story, like oral storytelling, will cut you two immediately at all. So. There you go. Well, we're going to have some fun with it. Let's always start with the first two questions I ask all of my Let's Straight Virgins. Um, <laughs> first question is. Uh, Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you, Luke? I'm sorry, I was talking over you. That's all right. Where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you growing up? Um, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, my family was from Bell Fountain, so it was a little bit smaller town, um, a little bit country town. Um, me growing up, um, I was shy, but also, I don't know how to say it, like, I was shy and I loved to delve into anything art related. So I was always drawing or like in the corner of the room doing some kind of craft project. But then I was also like wild and running around and loved to be included in the group or bossing my cousins around. So um, <laughs> they didn't listen. I just like to boss them. So <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah. Always... What about you? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, okay, so I was born in West Virginia to a hillbilly mom and a British dad and grew up in Kentucky in Shelbyville between Louisville and Lexington. And, you know, was kind of actually a shy kid, to be honest, until I did theater in the eighth grade. And it just really broke me out of my shell and um, led to where I am today, to be honest. Yeah. Nice. I love it. And let's talk about your LGBTQ journey. You're both out and open, proud members of our LGBTQ plus community. Luke, when did you first kind of come out to yourself? And when do you feel you kind of found your LGBTQ tribe finally? Um, well, I came out my freshman year of college. Um, I, like, it was kind of weird. Like, prior to freshman year, I didn't really make I didn't connect any of the dots that I was gay it was just like I'm different I knew that and I was just like I tried having girlfriends it was like it was all like cute holding hands and like a lot of heavy making out but nothing ever went any further than that uh, a lot of heavy petting uh, <laughs> and I got to college and I actually remember Johnny there's this story of like I saw Johnny one of my first days on campus, and it was like he had this long, flowy scarf, and just like stomping down the sidewalk. And I was like, there was something in me that was so angry about what I was seeing, but it had nothing to do with Johnny. I realized it was all about this image that I realized I connected with, but I didn't know why, and I was very angry at that part of me. And then that first semester, I actually in the marching band and in the band program at in uh, Moorhead, one of my best friends was Johnny's roommate. So that's how I met Johnny and quickly realized I was like, oh, this is my tribe. And yeah, I ended up having my first boyfriend, my first experiences, and Johnny was there to tease me throughout the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> nice. From a little gaby, Johnny was there. I love uh, it. John, what about you? When did you kind of first come out to yourself and where did you feel you start founding your tribe? Sure. I feel like um, somewhat similar. I, um, you know, I had everybody else telling me I was gay or before we knew what gay meant, they were telling me I was girly and feminine. Um, and then it was probably 
the junior year of high school that I really came out to myself. It just clicked one day, like, oh, maybe everything that everybody's saying is true. But in this little town, I didn't want to come out to people. So I waited, you know, about two years until freshman year of college. And even partway through that first semester was um, still trying to figure myself out. Um, I remember uh, one of my theater friends asked me, she's like, oh, are you gay? And I was like, um, undetermined. And she's like, okay. Um, and then clearly <laughs> I was. And then clearly, uh, you know, I met Luke and we, um, we all became a tribe together. My roommate, him, and a couple other friends um, really just kind of came out together, honestly. And um, I'm glad that we had the support of each other because it would have been a lot harder if we didn't, for sure. That is awesome to hear. And I mean, so many times we kind of go through all these friendships back and forth. What's the secret to you guys being able to stick together and kind of be, be still by, beside each other this many years later? Um, the teasing. <laughs> Jinx, okay, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that communication and just oh, knowing, I don't know, I, 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 I don't know. I think just us being ourselves and us discovering ourselves together just bonded us early on. Um, and then as I was telling you before, yeah, sure. uh, before earlier that we, um, you know, became roommates sophomore year. So I think that really kind of triggered us being best friends um, for this long. That's awesome. I think, um, and we've talked like very early on, like I grew up in the church and like I said, had not ever even considered that I might be gay. And Johnny had already kind of started down that road, at least within himself before college. And then I had been through some life experiences with my family that he started going through with his family in college. So it was like this moment where we were kind of leaning on each other. Mm -hmm. um, and just like, we've always, we would always be able to just like sit up and talk for hours and we still do the same thing. We'll just call each other for like no reason and just chat. And then it's like, okay, I gotta go and send, we love you, bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And Luke, let's talk about uh, your culinary journey. I mean, you went to school, I think, for like art and jewelry design or something. How did that kind of slowly evolve into your interest in the food arts? Um, well, it all was like, yeah, I wanted to be a jeweler. A jeweler. I was trying to do all of my um, prerequisites mm -hmm. in undergrad for jewelry and metalsmithing. Uh, at the time, there were only a couple like alternative arts colleges in the country that had a full jewelry program. Um, and they were pretty expensive. Um, I did not come from a family with money. So the decision was like, they didn't want me to go to a strict art school. They wanted me to have liberal arts, have a full round of education. So um, the decision was to go ahead and do all the prerequisites and then take all the jewelry courses. So I did my freshman year, then when I came out of the closet, um, that didn't land so well with my um, religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. And so my, um, my father and my stepmother, who house I grew up in, they actually um, told me I wasn't allowed to come back home after I told them I was gay. Um, so I spent my sophomore year at my living with my mother, who was very accepting, um, 
and like just not being able to afford to go back to school. Um, my dad wouldn't co-sign on the loan. Um, I lost my music scholarship because I decided I wanted to focus on art. And um, so then I just had to take some time and figure out what I was going to do next. And I, um, I met my now husband at a bar in Columbus, Ohio. We were talking about what the what I was going to do in the future. I was working at Hollister and I was like, well, I'm cooking all the time. I like I learned how to grow vegetables and fruit from my dad and my grandfather. And I was just like, I have this passion for food. I'm thinking about going to the hospitality program at Columbus State. Christopher was like, if you're doing anything with food, you're not doing it in Ohio. You're moving to New York. You're going to do culinary school here and we'll figure out the rest. So nice. uh, I ended up basically getting a, my first baby credit card and I used that to move to New York. Um, and I, uh, long story short, my first culinary school I was supposed to go to uh, didn't end up happening. I worked in the city, just odd jobs for about a year and a half, and then found out about a work-study program at the Institute of Culinary Education. They don't have that program anymore, but that was really my key into, that was my door into the culinary world. I was able to work for the school for a certain number of hours, and when I finished that, that paid my tuition. So then I was able to, I was working full-time in a restaurant, um, doing saving <laughs> while also going to school. And when I came out, I was able to just attack. That's an no. awesome story. We talked, I think, on social media about you being from Columbus. I'm in Northeast Ohio, about two and a half hours away. And it's such a weird dichotomy here in Ohio because Columbus used to be like the number three gay city in the world after San Francisco and LA. But then you can drive down. I know me driving from Akron Youngstown to Columbus, there's billboards, marriage between one man and one woman. It's real kind of a strange kind of state, right? It really is. I actually, um, I drove back, I guess it would have been January of 2021 um, to surprise my grandmother for her 90th birthday. Um, and just, so she's in, um, she's in Northwest Ohio and driving there it was just like the number of trump flags like one apparently isn't enough in your yard you have to have one every 10 feet so <laughs> like i i remember like at one point pulling the car over because i just was like felt so uncomfortable in my own home state and i kind of had a moment where i was like i'm no longer from ohio i'm from new york it's a wild thing i'm in uh, like i said i'm not too far outside of youngstown it's still very countryish here we have a lot of cornfields and stuff and same thing trump sign about every other cornfield i hear what you're saying and jonathan let's talk about you i mean you uh, went to school for theater and everything and you're back that we're going to talk about later on but where did this feeling for advocacy came in um that kind of drew you to hearing other people's lgbtq stories what drew you to advocacy um, you know, I think the seed was kind of planted when we had all met each other in undergrad because we, you know, weren't hearing those stories. I mean, we have to remember this is 20 plus years ago and also in Kentucky, right, uh, where we went to school. So, like, <laughs> you weren't hearing these stories. And, and I know, right? 
help. Um, <laughs> it's, it's rare that I will admit that, okay? <laughs> you can bleep that out later, okay? <laughs> but, like, I think that kind of planted the seed, but it wasn't until, um, you know, I moved to Chicago and my ex used to work a lot in nonprofits. And so I would always volunteer the different nonprofits that he was working at. And eventually, you know, in, in different communities, but then I found that, you know, I wanted to, you know, advocate for those communities that I was a part of, especially in other communities, but especially, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. And that's kind of what I think really, um, really just kind of triggered that advocacy was just kind of volunteering and knowing that connection I felt with these people of the struggle that they felt and the, um, the, the feeling they felt of not being able to share their selves, you know, you know. And talk about that. What's the importance of telling these coming out stories? I mean, we need to be able to share our story. And I think that's a great way to do it and sharing these common bonds. Talk about um, what that meant to you to kind of hear all these different stories. Yeah, so, um, especially in terms of like cleaning closets, my oral history project, I, you know, was thinking of the next project I wanted to do. And then I was having a conversation with my mother and this was years after coming out to her. And she had told me that at first she blamed herself for me being gay. And this was something I did not like, I was so caught up in my own coming out process that I didn't realize that my family and friends were going through a coming out process too, you know, just from the other side. Um, and so I think hearing that story and knowing my own story, it just really um, led to me realizing the importance of hearing stories, especially from both sides, because then you can find that common ground. And then, you know, here we are, uh, just Clean Closets turned 11 this month, actually. So 11 years. Yeah. So I think it was really just kind of hearing the other side that made me realize how important not only our own stories are, but coming together with other people to find that common ground. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Luke, let's get into uh, Spring Bacon Champion a bit. That's how yes. I came across you. I mean, huge foodie here. Um, spoiler alert, he won, guys. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this competition because it's really um, kind of you're in there, right? I mean, this is a real thing, right? Talk yeah. about the experiences. What were kind of the highs? What were kind of the lows for you? Um, I mean, the entire competition was a blast. It was really like getting to meet all the other bakers. And there was not a single bad apple. Like everybody, we got along so well, um, you know, <laughs> Being able to have our, we would do our big group selfie after every, uh, after every day that we got to compete against each other, and it was like, I mean, our group dwindled down, but um, I don't know. It was, it, you can't prepare for it. Like I, I thought I was gonna be prepared, and then you go in, and it's like you've got somebody that's specializing in chocolate, somebody that's specializing in buttercream. Like everybody had. Um, such amazing skills and they might have focused on one or the other. And it was like, there were things that I felt comfortable going in like, okay, I've, I've been an executive pastry chef for 10 years. I've been in New York city pastry for 18 total. I'm like, 
I'm good. And then I get in there and I see Clement with his French entremets. I see uh, all this like amazing chocolate work uh, from Josh and I was just like, and Christian just like Speedy Gonzalez throwing out like the amount of stuff that man can throw out in a short period of time. I remember like day one, first, very first episode that we filmed, I was just like, I'm not going to last. I was like, these guys are insane. Like, um, and I really had to go home and just be like, um, take a moment, like give myself a pep talk. Call Johnny. Johnny. (laughs) I was wondering about that because you won that first kind of heat competition before the main drag. And then you were kind of middle of the pack for a while there. That had to be play on you win the first, uh, Elimination heat, I guess, not the not the first one when someone goes home, but the first mini challenge, and then it's a couple of things before you get your win. Does that kind of you have to keep giving yourself that pep talk every day? That'd be tough. I mean, I don't know. I told myself going in that the only person I was really competing with was myself, and that I just wanted to make sure. I was like, on day one, I was like, I just don't want to go home first, and then the second <laughs> time, I was like, I don't want to go home second either. Uh, but it was really like, how do I want to say Like, it was humbling. It was, um, it really taught me all the things that like, I need to brush up on. I need to revisit. Um, and at the same time, like I've been, I've spent so many years being afraid of being in front of people. Um, I had gone to the auditions for Top Chef Just Dessert years ago at season one and they had told me to come back for a callback and I chickened out and mm. I've been approached and asked about coming on to some of the other shows in the past and I was like I just like I'm not ready I, I've, I've had stage fright for so much of my life but then being on the stage and like being on the in front of cameras and competing I was like actually I really love this like I wanted to do it when I was a kid I wanted to be on TV specifically on me. My dad and I would watch Food Network all the time. And so, like, all of a sudden to be there, to see the behind the scenes, to see, like, just how everything operated, that was beyond a dream. I told him when I was like, doing more. <laughs> For someone who loves attention, I'm surprised to hear you say you got stage fright. <laughs> I love that. I, I mean, I, I've been a food, same way. I was a Food Network addict forever. I had some of the first Food Network stars on the show back in the day, years ago and everything. So I'm hugely addicted to it. Now, when the show starts airing, I hope you're not one of the ones that have to go into the comments and everything. How do you keep your kind of, how do you keep it secret going <laughs> on? And I remember kind of, because I do read all the comments being a fan of the show. Uh-huh. And I remember they're going, I can't believe that Luke was was the big winner because Christian and also I said, well, you look at your stats. I mean, they each had two wins, Clement and uh, Christian, and you each had two wins. Christian yep. had a lot of highs, and I think you and Clement each had one low. But it's like it all comes down to that individual competition. Each week you're yep. making what's that, what, right? So how do you kind of keep uh, that in your head? Well, it was like, of course, we're our own worst critic. So – you know, after everything I made, I was like, I'm going home. 
<laughs> and then I would like once we would get down and do the reviews, I was like, there were a couple things that I was just like, like I remember the um, the pie cake, the imposter cake. Oh, uh, I I felt really good about that going in, and then it was received really well, and I think that was one of the ones that I won. Yeah, um, throughout um, throughout everything, I was just like, um. Sorry, my ADD. Um, <laughs> Johnny's used to this. <laughs> Try having a conversation on the phone with him late at night, okay? <laughs> That's why you guys are such good judges. Three-hour conversations on the phone just to get through two topics. I got it. Exactly. Um, it's all right. Um, remind me, we were talking about the specific... Remind me the question. Well, we're just talking about how do you keep the thin skin when it's actually airing? How do you keep it secret? And how do you keep yourself out of the comments? Oh, um, I didn't read the comments until it was over. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the easiest way Smart. to keep my head. I was just like, I mean, I, it's maybe it was also easier because I won. I was like, I already did it. Like, I don't need to read what you <laughs> I don't care what you think of me. Um, it did, when I did win, um, and I started seeing some of the negative comments that came out. Um, you know, I woke up and I had four of my fellow contestants all texting me, telling me, don't pay attention to what people are saying. You deserved it. And then I was like, well, what are they saying? <laughs> then I spent like a morning starting to go through it. And then, um, I, I maybe spent like 15, 20 minutes. And then I was like, you don't need to read this. I was like, I know what I did. I know that every... Every challenge was an individual challenge. I know I busted my butt to get through each one. Um, and I also know, like, the only time I was in the bottom, the entire competition, was during the semifinal. Right. I was like, there were only four, so two of you had to be in the bottom. Mm. Other than that, <laughs> I was never in the bottom. So, um, unlike real life. You did a fantastic job. <laughs> it was so fun watching. Like you said, that's... It's it's an individual competition by competition. And so that's why I was kind of surprised at some of the comments. But it's like, you won that thing that last, I mean, I think everyone did a fantastic job. But congratulations. I'm so happy for you because that's just awesome. We're going to talk about what you're going to be doing for that in a bit. Let's go back to Jonathan here. I mean, Jonathan, let's talk about uh, closets for a second. Um, been doing this now for quite a few years. You've done some portraits, uh, a, a, port, a project with your sister that's exciting mm -hmm. to talk about. You've been doing Pride, which I understand you're going back to this year. Talk about some of the highlights from that organization. Um, sure. So, and just to let people know, it's not officially a nonprofit organization, but it is an ongoing oral history project. Um, and it's, um, you know, I think the first one was obviously a highlight because I, um, I had been working with this one person, um, in academia it, previously at like, an, an, I was a summer camp at, um, the Goodman Theater here in Chicago. And so she had all this experience with oral history. So I reached out to her. She was working at UIC at the time and reached out to her just to get some advice on, you know, doing an oral history project and went to her and she was like, I love this idea of doing it from both sides of the closet door. So let's do it here. So, and then I found from another theater 
um, thing that I was volunteering for at the Y in Evanston, um, one of my um, co-volunteers was like, oh, I'll volunteer and help you, you know, interview people. So we interviewed about 25 people in that first iteration. And I knew that it was important, the work that I was doing, when I realized how many people wanted to volunteer their time to help me. And um, at first, I thought we were just going to put together, you know, a stage reading of a script that we had created from these 25 different stories, um, Luke's being one of them in the original, him and his mama, um, and realized it, it can't be just a one-time thing because there's so many stories to share and there's so many different ways to share stories. So that started out as, you know, a stage reading, but then um, years go by and I got a grant to, um, to devise a a play with some unhoused youth here in Chicago, um, which is a community I volunteer with quite often. Um, and then um, there was a couple other grants, a grant to do the portrait exhibit across Kentucky, my home state. And that was really nice and cathartic because not only was I hearing all these stories from people who had similar upbringings, right? But I got to travel across the state with my sister as an adult and just have me and her time for a while in the car. And that was really amazing. Um, there was, uh, you know, quite a few different iterations that have been grant um, funded. There's a grant funded project coming out soon next year, which has evolved a million different ways, but um, has turned into an e-magazine um, that will be released next year once I get everything together. Um, that will highlight specifically Black coming out stories. So I'm really excited about that because that's obviously stories that we don't hear that often. So I think those are some of the really cool ones that I've done. And it's been a really amazing journey to really just kind of collect these. And the, the portrait exhibit, going back to that, toured across um, to a different town in Kentucky each month of 2020 until, of course, March came along and shut that down. But we were in Paducah, which is a very small southern um, town in Kentucky. Um, at their, we were the first exhibit at their um, brand new LGBTQ Welcome Center at the time um, and things like that. And then we took the, um, we collected a lot of the stories at my hometown's first ever Pride Festival. Um, and that was really, once again, cathartic, especially we just put out note cards. We took, my sister took portraits for the exhibit and then I collected stories, but then some people just wanted to share their stories in that moment and not be interviewed later. So we had note cards out that later I got to read because I was so busy at the booth that I recorded me and my sister reading these stories and I'm bawling my eyes out. Like it's like uncontrollable. can't even read them because I totally understood where these people were coming from. I mean, talking ugly cry and um, the bravery of these young people, like especially being so young to share their stories, high school students and things when I wasn't even able to figure myself out until after that. So it was really brave and amazing to hear those stories and really keeps pushing me to continue um, collecting them. Yeah. I love that. That is so cool. I'm so glad you guys did that, and I can't wait to see a little more of it. And we'll talk. Give your website at the end. You got some great examples there, Luke. Let's go on to things that are happening now. I mean, now you've won this competition. You've been working in restaurants with other people forever. You're going on to your own endeavor now. Talk about that. I think it's the most yes. excellent concept. I'm sure it's been done before, but I've never heard of it before. Talk about uh, what you're what what's coming up for you. Yeah. So. 
now I am in the process of launching high-end bakery apples. Cannabis-infused French patisserie. And um, super excited about how we're approaching it. I'm trying to, like, I don't want to give too much away because we are still working on getting the licensing and New York is going to be a very competitive market. So my idea, I'm not sharing it. Uh, but <laughs> right. I got, I'm really excited. I've got an amazing team with me. I've got one of the best cannabis lawyers in the city. Um, and I've got a real estate team. I'm really excited to start looking for our actual, like, flagship gorgeous little jewel box of a um, espresso lounge and bakery um and yeah um we're going to be doing wholesale we're going to be doing delivery within the city uh, so wholesale through all the licensed dispensaries uh, it's really super exciting we just got um don't congratulate because no nothing is signed yet but we did just send out our contracts for our first um big commitment so um so now we are, we're officially, we're doing it. And um, so yes. I've been building the business plan with um, my business partner, Zachary Barnett, for the last two years. Um, we both went full-time for ourselves um, just recently. Tell Zach I said, hey. Johnny got a crush on my business partner. <laughs> Maybe a little. Now he's gonna find out. <laughs> and I'm also always getting late night calls with this endeavor and like, hey, oh my God, I'm stressed out. And let me tell you what, I hate cooking. Like I am a foodie too. I love to eat, but I do not like being in the kitchen. If I'm in the kitchen, I'm probably making drinks or sitting off to the side, yeah. being out of the way because I hate, like I despise it. So let me tell you. It, <laughs> but it was, and I can attest to how delicious Luke's treats are, but like watching him in the spring bike championship, let me tell you once again, even watching a show about cooking, first of all, just makes me hungry and I hate being in the kitchen. So then I'm like, oh, I'm hungry and I don't even want to go in the kitchen now. So let me order something and spend money. Um, yeah, so definitely it's kind of stressful watching him in that and also watching him like compete and drive me crazy, you know. Well, that's <laughs> why you guys are sexy and spelt and I'm like 300 pounds because I watch these all the time and I eat the entire, it's like, oh man, that'd be great to have some brownies while I'm watching this and I'll go cook some brownies because right. I'm like, I want to go to but. And then don't be mad at me, but I definitely fast forward through a lot of bits that I was like, oh, I don't want to watch cooking. <laughs> Just get me back to the drama, you know? <laughs> as long as you stopped at the good spots. Exactly, go. I did. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I will say the good thing about um, when you're in the kitchen all the time, I think we all saw like our moms cooking all day and then like not eating. Uh, so it was kind of the same thing of like when I'm around. I'm like I'm I'm eating all day, but I'm like tasting and nibbling, and then by the time it's done, um, like not actually eating a full dessert, but I can still fuck up some ice cream any day. Um, but it's always it's also like I'm running around the whole time, and um, a lot of times pastry department, like downstairs in a corner, or like um, one restaurant I was at, the walk-in and my office were on in the basement floor. The dining room was on the main floor. My pastry production kitchen was on the second floor, and my pastry freezer was on the roof. So, like, 
and I live in New York, so I'm walking everywhere, and I live on a fifth floor walk-up. So, um, but not being in a kitchen and being at a computer all day for the first time in my career, mm. it's, it's... A little more challenging. Now I have to put it There you but, go. Hit that gym in between uh, exciting sessions there. Well, I think it's the, the greatest name in the history of a bakery yeah. and coffee shop. I think it's an amazing name. I'm so excited, looking forward to it. And uh, I, we have medical marijuana here in Ohio, so maybe we can ship to me. Fingers crossed. <laughs> or six and a half hour drive either way. I'll go. I'll no, I, I still have visit my family, so. I love it. And Jonathan, talk about your projects here. You're now back into your acting and your music. Talk about what's kind of hitting your hot button these days. Yeah, um, also still just kind of working in the community with the work that I do. I too um, just recently launched a business with my business partner, Marvin Osby here in Chicago. Um, I finished grad school last year. I went back after once again, almost more than 20 years uh, <laughs> and was like, what am I doing? And then kind of had an entrepreneurial focus in there and went to my business partner and I was like, so we've been producing shows together for We launched Making Art Your Opportunity, uh, which is a multidisciplinary production company where we do um, events and shows and concerts and things. And his background's in music, my background's theater and events. So it's really been great. We just finished our summer series um, here at one of the local restaurants that we like to partner with. Um, and it was Drag to the Future. So we started in the 70s and ended with Y2K. And so they just booked us again for next month for a um, Halloween show on October 12th. So we're excited about that. Um, that'll be interesting. And then we have some things lined up for the future, um, some one-off projects um, and some that will be not just, you know, a one-time live event. They'll be, you know, recorded events. So those are down the line, but, but quite a ways down the line at the moment. And then we just had our seventh annual bride brunch, which is a charity brunch where we dress up as brides and get married to the cause. Um, so we were really excited for that and it went really well and every year at Elevate, so we're excited. And it's all about community and, and you know, I'll, can I share this little story? So at our last summer series um, event, we had these um, people that had come, those audience members that had come to all four of the summer series and at the end, they came up to us behind uh, the stage and was like, hey, we made this bouquet of flowers for you because they're launching a, um, a, a floral business. And I was really excited to hear them say that. But they gave us this bouquet and explained to us that, you know, it, it's not just like a break a leg bouquet. It was this is for all the work that you do in the community. And that's really part of our mission in our company. Even though we're not nonprofit, we still you know, have a mission to help out the community. Sure. And when he said that, I literally had to go outside and cry a little bit because I was like, not only oh. am I doing our, <laughs> I did, I left you a really like yeah. sappy voicemail. It's like bawling into the phone, <laughs> I need this story. So then, of course, the next day it was like, I am keeping that voicemail forever. 
Um, and he was like, wait, which one? What did that say? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so it just meant a lot. We because... have to double check what messages we left there. But, right, uh, especially because it'll take him three weeks just to listen to one, so. <laughs> Girl, I'm going to throw this at you, but I'd actually be thinking Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have shit. to throw it to me when we see each other. <laughs> but it was just really like heartwarming to know, like, not only am I doing this business that I set out yep. to do, but we are fulfilling the mission that we set out to do, which was really important to me. Yeah, you know? I love that. I also want to. Next question. I love that. I mean, what talk about the importance of having LGBTQ representation in? the food industry and the music and theater industry for everyone coming up. I mean, what, how do you try to incorporate that, if at all, into your business model, Lou? Um, well, I've actually got a huge social equity platform that I'm standing on. I mean, we, my company is gay owned, both Zachary and I are gay, but, um, you know, within New York state, um, they have been trying to, create a social equity platform for the cannabis industry. Um, so many people of color were disproportionately uh, incarcerated for uh, mm-hmm. cannabis crimes. And now we've got people making tons and tons of money off of a product, off a plant that other people were being put into prison for. Mm-hmm. And um, so we are like, on one hand, we could go after a license as a minority, um, but decided to not like I believe enough in uh, my product and my business that I'm gonna get my license I don't I don't need to go by being an LGBT company um, that said I'm also never gonna back down or deny that that's part of who I am but um, like I'm sure like a big part of what I want to do is collaborations with other chefs and other um, artists and um i've learned over the last especially during spring making championship that i love storytelling Mm -hmm. and um that i put a lot of my heart into what i do and so being able to tell my story and connect people with food with cannabis that's always going to be a part of it but um this whole like entrepreneurial (laughs) vendetta that i have now that i've never like i don't know that that all new to me and for a while trying to build this company i got you know it's hard and you're telling your story you're saying why you want to do things uh asking people to give you like give you their trust and their money over and over and over again and being told no and or like not yet and it's like i had to stop and be like why am i doing this like and uh instead of just doing instead of just doing it every day it was like finally started writing it down again. And Johnny is a big journaler and I had mm-hmm. never been recently I've started journaling and it was kind of this reminder of like, I have two books, literally one says, why the fuck am I doing this? And the other one says, who the fuck is and so I, <laughs> and it was this reminder of like, you know, I grew up in a faith that was, they were called Bre- the brethren church. It was about fellowship, mm-hmm. brotherhood, we would help out at uh, soup kitchens and we would go on mission trips and like help rebuild or paint schools. Um, and, you know, growing up, having access to fresh food from the farm and then moving to New York, you know, that farm to table 
aspect has been part of my life as a chef uh, my entire career. I've made it a point to build relationships with farmers upstate. And now I'm taking all that, all of those things and putting them into, yes, it's a fun cannabis infused French patisserie, but I'm building a network of cannabis growers upstate, building a network of these small farms that are trying to make ends meet. Farm Bill of 2018, we've happily voted grow cannabis, building a network just like I have for my produce, but with cannabis to create a product that then can connect farm to table in the cannabis world. Um, to also work with um, an organization like the Fortune Society, which works with people that have been incarcerated to reintegrate them into the workforce. So, mm-hmm. having the ability to work with a company that has already kind of vetted and trained. There are programs in the city that actually have training for those people. So then to be able to apply, bring them into the workforce um, for us. And then, like I said earlier, I wouldn't have been able to go to culinary school without a work study program. So I've specifically set aside 10% of my profits once we start making money. It's already in the business plan. It's budgeted out. 10% gets held Every year, 5% goes into a profit share, uh, a performance-based profit share to our employees. And the other 5% is a scholarship program for anything in the culinary industry, whether it's culinary management or actually culinary school. Um, And of course, and that's open to any of our employees, but also just open to the community. So it's, of course, if somebody gets it, our love for you to go to school, come back and keep working for us and like make us even better. That's not the point. So it's just that's reminding myself why I'm doing it. It's breathing the fire. I don't think you told me about that. Yeah. I don't think you told me about that. I love that. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, authenticity is thrown around as a buzzword so much. That's one of the things I kind of enjoyed about getting to know you on the show and getting to know Jonathan the time here is uh, being authentic to yourselves, whether it be in your personal life with your husband or when your business life, when you're trying to get back to me, I think that's so important. Jonathan, I mean, music and entertainment industry has always been very open receptive to the LGBTQ community. But just like you said, working all these events and trying to be honest and true to yourself, mm-hmm. it's got to be kind of nice to see this it kind of dovetails perfectly into uh, your coming out stories and your project, 2020 project, yeah. things like actually, that, right? Yeah, part of our um, mission actually is leading with authenticity and building community, like I said, so it definitely is. But, you know, I think it's also, yes, you know, the music and entertainment industry has been a little more open to the LGBTQ plus community. However, we're taking our shows and putting them into non-traditionally, like, LGBTQ spaces. Like, one of, you know, a lot of the restaurants we go to are, um, because we do a lot of shows at restaurants and bars and things, and um, a lot of those, aren't known as LGBTQ plus spaces. And so we're coming in there and creating that safe space because we still know those people are still clients of those spaces. It's just not, you know, advertised as that kind of space. So that's really important to us. That is awesome. All right, well, we have to start wrapping it up, guys. I want to finish up last question. I mean, it's just been a celebration of your guys' friendship on here today. Talk yes. about what your guys' advice is for building these long-lasting friendships. I mean, like I said, Luke, you've been 
hustling your bunnies forever, going to school, doing the competitions, starting your own business. Jonathan, you've been doing all this other stuff through your work and through trying to build up relationships. How are you able to maintain a friendship and lead such busy lives? What suggestions do you have to keep those friendships going? I think there's a lot of just no judgment <laughs> and like there's no timeline. There's no timeline on a friendship. It's like if if you're busy, I know you're busy because you are working towards your dreams and toward like mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we've gone we've gone months without talking. Not often, but it's happened. Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, we'll message, like, but yeah, it'll be a text message or phone tag, and then um, we'll finally get in touch with each other, and then. Like I said, that doesn't happen often, but it's happened. And it's um, like, I don't think we've ever really, we've never really had an argument. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. No. no. And I think that comes from, like you said, the the no judgment, because we've both been through a lot. And and even early on, I think even, you know, we had to tell ourselves that. Um, um, Luke, I don't know if you um, know you remember this. When we became roommates, sophomore year of undergrad, um, somebody had drawn a picture and posted it on our dorm room door. And it was imitating the tricks rabbit, the cereal rabbit. Uh -huh. And it said, silly faggots, dicks are for chicks. And wow. yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Like what we had to go through back in our time and place, you know what I'm saying? Not that people don't still today, especially even in Kentucky. But I think that really kind of set a tone early on of like, how we interact with each other and how we both interacted differently and reacted differently to this message on our wall. But remembering that, like you said, I had already started going through some of that and you were just coming into that and we had to meet each other where we were at and understand you know, and be there for each other um, with no judgment, but also with um, support and encouragement. So I think, um, I think that's I exactly how we've left it. I want to say, like, earlier I mentioned when I did come out of the closet, my dad and my stepmother kicked me out. But, um, like Johnny have said, um, I'm trying to get my dad and my stepmom to actually take part in cleaning closets because, mm -hmm. you know, we've said, like, it took me 18 years to even figure out that that was in the world of possibility and to voice it. Mm -hmm. voice it so... It took me 18 years to figure it out and be okay with myself enough to say it. Sometimes people are going to need a little more than a day to, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, some people, it's not a problem. My mom, my mother, it was like, she was literally waiting for me to say it. Yeah. But I love my, her. I stayed, I stayed like, with your mom and aunt in Atlanta last year. Like, yeah. Um, but you know, now my dad and my stepmother and I like, um they are an active part of my life um uh, my whole family's back in and um you know it's so it's i guess that's my my words to anybody out there that's going through that i was never homeless because of being kicked out i had a, a safety and a support group um but definitely like being able to give people time and realizing mm -hmm. that we're all going through our own things. I think that's one of the things with Johnny's and my relationship. Like everybody's going through their own journey. Mm -hmm. People where they're at when they're there. And yeah. just being able to listen. And even sometimes it's like 
Johnny, I it, sometimes I'll go in and want to rant about whatever I'm going through. And it's like, I may know that he's already going through something. And it's like, are you out of space to listen? Mm-hmm. Like, or not? Because sometimes it's like, I can't, I can't take on anymore. And yeah. just being or sometimes like, literally I call Luke and I'm like, um, I'm going through some shit right now. And I need you just to talk to me and about anything else other than what's going on in my life. Like, sometimes I'm like, tell me about your accomplishments. Tell me about your problems. I need to know I'm not the only one with problems right now. <laughs> I love that. So well said, guys. I love both of those points. We got to wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. Um, do me a favor, Luke. Let everyone know where they can find you on social media. Uh, you have a great website. The pictures of your desserts are absolutely amazing. So give everyone your website and your social media handle. All right. so. Um, my social media, I've got two LD pastry is, um, my pastry forward one that basically chronicles up till now in all of my, uh, restaurant life. And then high end bakery edibles is from now forward. So that's everything that I'm doing with the infusions at the patisserie. Uh, you can find me at lukedearnuff.com. Uh, doing the my blog, but um, that website needs to be updated. And then High End Bakery Central, highendcentral.com. I love it. All right, and Jonathan, where can they find you these days? What's the best place to look you up? Look at your um, closet organization and your new one. Yeah, so um, cleaningclosets.org. You can find out about the latest info about cleaning closets there and what's coming up. Um, and then the, for making art your opportunity, it's uh, mayollc.today, um, not .com, .today, or mayotoday um, on Instagram. And those will be the places you can find our most updated information. Yeah. I love it. Well, Jonathan Luke, thanks for being on the Left of Straight Show. Great getting to know you guys. We'll have to have you back often because you guys will have lots of projects going on. I can't wait for you to open up your shop, Luke. And Jonathan, we got to come see one of your events sometimes. Yes, definitely. Thanks, guys. And Scott, thank you for the work that you do. Yes. Thank yes. you. I appreciate it. All right, stay on the line, guys. We're going to have five questions with Luke and Jonathan next Tuesday. So be sure to look for that. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show, where we always have great interviews with fantastic personalities. And today, Jonathan and Luke, thanks so much for being part of the show. Guys, we'll see you next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor, and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.